people who know me know that I am an educator. I taught in the Pulaski County Special School District in Arkansas for eight years. And then I went on to teach at the University of Central Arkansas for three before my husband was deployed to Georgia, where I've not worked as a teacher full time since our move in 2018. As an educator, it has always been important to me to be supportive of students. The other day I was at the park with my kids and there were some moms sitting on a bench and we all started chatting and I learned that one of the moms who's younger is graduating with her undergrad in uh, secondary education. She's going to teach science and math and her mother who was with her said, what is one piece of advice you would give her about teaching? And the first thing that I told her was, get to know your students. You can't teach them if you don't know who they are. And you can't reach them if you don't respect them. I told her, you have to give them your respect even before they earn it. And the reason why is because when students feel like you see them as people, they respond so much better and so much more positively to the academic stuff you're trying to do with them. If you go into the building and you just want to say, hey, put this information into your head and then tell it back to me, they will be so closed off that they will never learn anything. So you may be wondering, TJ, what does this have to do with acceptance? Great question. Here is my answer. Children come in a variety of packages. If we try to make all of the children cookie cutter carbon copies of one another or of our own images, then we damage them. When we look at a child who is transgender and see that child as unclean, are non-conforming, not right, not what we want in our classrooms or in our communities or just in existence, we damage them. This for the ones who are doubted us, counted us out looking down on us. Flex, flex. This for the ones who are turning us acting like they never heard of us. Flex, flex. This for the ones who was laughing, you could never kill my passion. Yeah. Y'all be the reason we spazzing all gas, no lax. This year I turned 40 is about a journey towards a magical and agitating age. Each week I'll interview guests, we'll talk, learn a little bit, laugh a lot, and hopefully have a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me. And remember to like, review, subscribe, and find us on social media. Thank you for being here today. Today's show was not planned. It is a total switch up based on current events. And we know that it's sometimes good to do that, especially if you're an educator. Sometimes you, you know, you make your plan and you have your map and something happens and you're like, oh, let's talk about this. So today we are going to be talking about acceptance. And I have a guest here today who is a mental health care professional, and she is going to help navigate this conversation a bit because although um, advocacy for all children is something that is very important to me, because I am not a member of the LGBTQ community and because I am not a professional in the field of mental or even um, medicinal health, I reached out to someone who is. My guest today is Ms. Susan Warren. Susan, can you share with us a little bit of your background? Yeah, thanks so much for that, TJ. Um, I am a licensed master social worker um, in the state of Arkansas. Um, and so that means that I have worked um, in community places. I've worked in some free health clinics here in Little Rock, and I've worked um, in some of our bigger 
hospitals. And I kind of have a wide range of experience from working with those who might have intellectual delay or fall somewhere on the autism spectrum, all the way to couples and families dealing with blended life changes and big emotions and all those things that we go through. So I work at Cardinal Counseling. Um, It is a private clinic here in North Little Rock, and we are a very affirming clinic. And so most recently, my work has been with the LGBTQ community and with the minority community, which has been very um, interesting through the time of COVID-19, because our political landscape and our social landscape has definitely been heated and it has been changing. So that's a little bit of my background. Thank you. Well, I want to start the conversation with mentioning why we're here. This is the Acceptance Is episode. In your words, can you tell me what is acceptance and why is acceptance different or how is acceptance different from tolerance? Yeah, I really like this question. You know, acceptance I think sometimes we think it is this passive action that we accept somebody the way they are. But to me, TJ, acceptance takes a little bit of work. You know, we have to understand where our understanding stops, where we become uncomfortable, where we want to pull back and say, I don't know about that. That sounds iffy to me. You know, and in those moments, we choose to push forward and we choose to stick with that person and really be an active and open listener. And in that moment, are we choosing to react? Are we choosing to respond? You know, and so acceptance to me is a little bit different than tolerance because we can tolerate almost anything. You know, we kind of put it in a place in our mind, you know, okay, we just won't talk about that. I'll tolerate that and it'll be okay. Whereas acceptance is, Maybe I don't understand and maybe I don't feel the most comfortable, but I still love you and I still support you at the end of the day. You know, our differences don't have to divide us. And so I think when we think of acceptance, we have to think that it is an active process that we offer to people in all of our relationships that we have, you know, and so it's a little bit different than just saying, okay, you're here. And that's okay, you do your thing and I'll do mine. You know, rather it's saying we can both do our own thing and we can both celebrate those things. Definitely. I love the fact that you put that word active. It's an yes. active process. It's ongoing. It it doesn't stop at, okay, you exist. You know, it's, you know, okay, you exist and let me get to know you. Let me understand you. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's agreement. You know, right. you, you can accept something and not necessarily be in agreement, but you can also, there is a harmony in that. Yes. We can be accepting without judgment. Exactly. I like that. Accepting without yeah. judgment. The whole thing that the catalyst for me was uh, the Arkansas House Bill 1570. And um, then when I started going down that rabbit hole, I started finding some other um, Senate and House bills that also pertain to the trans communities. I want to talk a little bit about what gender dysphoria is and how it affects an individual if left untreated. So can you explain exactly what that is and and what does it mean? How How is that classified? Yeah, so gender dysphoria sounds like this really fancy word, but at the end of the day, it is when somebody's gender that is assigned at birth does not match their gender identity. So if somebody is born and classified as a female and they grow up and say, I am male, they would experience gender dysphoria until they transition to a part point in their life where they were happy and fulfilled. You know, so this gender dysphoria is really distressing. It's really uncomfortable. From what we know is it pretty much interferes with daily life. You know, it changes how we feel when we are in public. It can lead to low self-esteem. You know, and when we start talking about our self-worth, that's when those sticky monsters like depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and suicidal actions come into play. And so this gender dysphoria piece, while it may look like this small thing that people experience, it very much is the tip of the iceberg. You know, one way that people can talk about how they're feeling, but can very quickly lead to other very 
harmful and very, you know, negative things that an individual has to go through if left untreated. You know, now mental health care has been around in our world for a little bit of time. And so we know that anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and low self-worth can all be treated within a therapy space. You know, whether that's talking to a social worker or a LPC or, you know, even case managers in hospitals, even if that's beyond mental health care and into, you know, mentorship and into friendships in the real world, we know that being able to talk openly about these things, you know, combat the effects of suicidal thoughts. And so you did ask, you know, how is it classified? So within mental health care, we have something called the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, the DSM-5, and that's kind of the big book that all mental health care providers rely on for diagnostic criteria. So we go there and it says you need to have these things to be classified as somebody with major depressive disorder. So gender dysphoria is in the DSM-5. And that has been the diagnosis since 2013. Before that, um, in the DSM-4, it was referred to as gender identity disorder. And so TJ, when I was looking this up, I thought this was really interesting that in 2013, the DSM-5, all of the mental health care professionals that kind of created that book, decided that that switch from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria was because gender diversity is not pathological. Rather, it is the identity concern and the role confusion that comes up when somebody is transitioning, you know. And so in the DSM-5, a direct quote that I really liked is that gender nonconformity is not in itself a mental disorder, you know. And so rather, you know, when somebody grows up and their mind and body do not align or they do not fit into easily perceived societal norms, you know, that can be very distressing for all of us. And so even the DSM-5, you know, mental health care for, you know, the past seven years or so has picked up that diversity within gender identity is not really what's causing this low self-worth and depression and anxiety. You know, it truly is that gender dysphoria piece. You know, I don't feel like I am in my body. You know, this is not the right fit. Imagine one day waking up and not feeling quite right, feeling like something is off and you don't know what it is, but you know that it's something. And then you go to a mirror and you look at yourself and you examine your face and the person staring back at you is a stranger. Beyond the physical presence in front of you, you feel your inner self and that self feels more complete, more real and more right than what is in front of you. However, that person cannot be realized because the world has told you that because of what is on the outside, you must be that person. I have never woken up feeling this way, but I imagine that this is what it is like for a person who experiences gender dysphoria. I imagine that there is a great deal of anxiety attached to the experience of waking up and preparing for a day of unintentional dress up for the sake of everybody else around you. And I imagine as a young person trying to fit in and find a tribe of people who will not judge or harm me because of my differences and who would grow to accept me and love me regardless of how my ideation lacks conformity to societal norms. For young people, it's hard enough. Yeah, yes, <laughs> it really it's, is. It really is. It's, it's hard enough, um, especially when you get to those adolescent, those pre-adolescent years where your body is starting to change. So I can imagine how a person who feels that they are a girl or feels that they are a boy, but they're in the wrong skin, the wrong body. I can see how that can be so distressing yeah. every day. It can be very alienating and, you know, can even lead to feelings of distrust for yourself. So it very easily can lead to very dark places for an individual. Yeah, and so it really is. I really think of it kind of as the tip of the iceberg. Right. And and just to help the listener visual visualize that a little bit more. If you've ever been or if you've ever seen an iceberg, you look at the iceberg and it looks like this big rock that's floating on water. But if you look underneath the surface, 
of the water, the iceberg can be miles long. It, it can be huge. It can, you know, descend very far uh, as far as depth and it can be very wide. And when she says, when Ms. Warren says that it's the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is what you see. So the fact that you see this person who wants to uh, physically be someone else, um, needs to physically be someone else. When you see that on the surface, you don't really realize that underneath the surface, all the mental anguish, all the, I mean, even spiritual, just all of yeah. the other things that are happening underneath the surface. And it, it goes very deep. That's what we have to wrap our heads around as people who are cis gendered and who, um, you know, are not part of these communities. Yeah, which TJ, I did want to share with you that, you know, gender dysphoria sounds, you know, like that belongs to, you know, a certain group of people. But I did want to say that we all can experience dysphoria. You know, that is not something that is, um, you know, a disorder that somebody can be diagnosed with. Rather, it is when an ideal of ourself does not match what we are doing. So for example, this will be kind of a funny and lighthearted one. If I am the type of person that every Friday at lunch, I eat a hamburger. Okay, so every Friday, that is what I do at lunch. And I don't one Friday, I will experience distress, I will feel, you know, slight anxiety. And it's not because, you know, I have failed as a human being not having my brain burger on Friday, it's because we as humans really like predictability and we like safety and we like comfort. You know, so my burger at lunch on Friday is my safety and my comfort. And if that is taken away, our brains get into a little tizzy. You know, ooh, what does that mean about me? So dysphoria is this thing that is kind of in everyday life that we can all experience whether we are trans or whether we are cis. Um, and so that can help people kind of understand these concepts as well, is that the gender dysphoria piece is more about the person, how someone relates to their gender identity, you know, and not so much what they eat for lunch on Fridays or what they might do in their spare time. I had not thought of it that way. So I experienced dysphoria every night when my kitchen is not clean and I yes. can't sleep. <laughs> until the kitchen is cleaned and then I yes. can finally go to bed. Yes, you experience dysphoria in that moment. <laughs> okay, oh, that actually, that helps a lot. And that explains a lot because I, I never considered that. I never considered that the, the feeling of dysphoria would be linked to anything else. So thank you for teaching me that. One thing that I know is that when a person makes the decision to proceed or to move forward with a transition in order to match the inside with the outside, they first go to counseling, correct? Yes. Yeah, so it is really an, you know, an individual journey for any person that is trans. So most of the time people do seek out um, counseling at some point, but it can be at many different points of their journey. So for example, it might be when they are a young person and they start to realize that they might have a different gender identity than their peers. And so they are navigating that and they are figuring out where do I fit in? Who am I? Other people who go to counseling, go to counseling before they have gender affirming surgery, you know, and that type is more, are you prepared for this surgery? You know, let's chat, let's get you to this point in your life where you want to be. Other times, you know, it can be later in life for people that they feel it is the correct time for them to transition or to come out, you know, and so sometimes that conversation starts in a doctor's office or a clinic, you know, someone saying, I'd like to start hormones. I've been reading about this and then the doctor can refer. And sometimes that starts, you know, in the mental health office. And then oftentimes if someone shares with me that they would like to transition or they are having these thoughts, I do, you know, let them know of affirming trans doctors around just so they can decide, you know, when do I reach out to this medical professional? What is the right path for me? And so it is really you know, different based on each individual and kind of where they are in their journey. Okay. What do parents or family members need, you know, when a loved one says, you know, hey, this is how I felt 
this is something that I feel that I need. Like what do they need or how should they proceed with um, preparing themselves to be supportive? Yeah, you know, I think that first I want to say, I think being a parent is the world's hardest job and I am not a parent. So I don't, I cannot truly empathize, but every parent I know, you guys are going through it and you guys deserve the world. Okay? Yes, and- it's hard. <laughs> so hard. Yes, and, and so I think in that moment, you know, really recognize that you're human too, you know, and so a part of this transition process is that, you know, things are going to change. And when you have a child and maybe they are biologically identified as a female, you know, and they come out and they say, I am your son, I am not a daughter. In that moment, you have to grieve your daughter. You know, all those expectations that you had, they will not match. All of those things that you thought you knew, you know, might happen, those all change. And that doesn't have to be end of the world. Of course, it is sad and people can feel however they want to feel about that. And so I think that in that moment, you know, really take a moment for yourself and ask yourself what you need, because there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, this is the first time I've ever even heard of this. I'm not comfortable and I don't understand. Um, because there are really talented, you know, therapists and really talented family support people out there to help parents and children navigate this stuff. And so I think it takes having a really, really human moment of empathy for yourself and kind of saying, what do I need to support my kid through this? You know, which from my kind of work experience, oftentimes, if I see a young person who is transitioning or exploring their gender identity, oftentimes I will have parents come in individually to meet with me to talk about things. And sometimes we realize, you know, you need your own person to talk to, you know, you need your own therapist, you need your own space. Um, And we continue to work on family dynamic stuff. But this can bring up a lot, you know, because life changes, We know that sometimes it can, if new concepts are introduced for the first time, if other children are in the home, you know, parents sometimes have concerns over how to explain this to other children. Um, And so I really think that it takes parents understanding where their limits are and kind of jumping off the boat and just asking for help, you know, saying, maybe I don't know how to do this. I like that you mentioned a couple of things about being human, like understanding that, you know, you're going to, as a parent, grieve the loss of that child because you are losing that child. I have three children. And so if one of my children decided, uh, or it came to me and said, you know, mommy, I feel this way, then I'm thinking, oh, all those baby pictures and all those moments that we had together. And, you know, the name that I chose for you and all of these things. And so the The experience of transitioning is not something that one person experiences. It's everyone who is around them. And so everyone needs to be supported is what I'm hearing. Yes. And I think sometimes parents might feel selfish, you know, or they might Mm. feel like, oh, this is my kids going through this. I am okay. Mm -hmm. You know, but our families, like you said, we don't exist in a vacuum. You know, Mm -hmm. if something affects my sister, you know, then it affects my entire family. If something affects our grandmothers, then it affects our entire family. And this is the same way. So I think sometimes in an effort to help the one that might obviously need the most support, sometimes we can further divide or even push ourselves further down in those moments. Right. I want to recommend a resource for anyone who's listening who may be in uh, this position of, you know, their children or a child or a loved one being in this state of, what am I trying to say? Yeah, their journey, their... <laughs> yeah, their their journey towards uh, becoming their full selves. So um, I read this book a long time ago. It's by Lori Frankel and it's called, This Is How It Always Is. And it is a young adult novel, it's fiction, but it is a good resource for anyone who who is trying to understand transgender identity from a family standpoint. So I I would recommend reading that. And also um, the movie Palmer, Justin Timberlake is in the movie. He's 
like I have never seen him before. Never thought that Justin Timberlake could be rough and a gruff person, but he kind of is in this movie. But it's a beautiful movie about these two individuals, you know, finding each other. But also it's a movie about acceptance. It's, it's not tolerance, it's acceptance. It's this child and this man who come from very different backgrounds, uh, learning to accept one another and becoming a family. So I, I recommend those two resources. What are the pros and cons, Susan, of waiting to complete gender reassignment until a person is 18? Yeah, so first I want to say that this is a really big question um whenever I would whenever I'm thinking about it right now and I want to be clear that everybody's journey is truly individual you know TJ even when you and I think of you know our cisgenderedness you know it's taken us a little bit to feel comfortable as a woman in public or even navigating that like when we have a job or when we have children like that is constantly in flux for us And we constantly grapple with, you know, am I matching perceived ideals of this gender enough? You know, so first I want to say that Mm -hmm. everybody has a journey with their gender identity, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I think that the ability to, you know, like express our true gender identity has such a powerful effect on our life. You know, we feel fulfilled and we feel capable. Um, And so also I want to say that the transition process is individualized so much that it doesn't always involve surgery of any type. Sometimes transition doesn't even involve medical intervention. Um, And so when we think about different type of gender reassignment or gender affirming stuff, you know, my brain kind of goes to all of these other interventions, you know, so we have legal interventions, so name changes, pronoun changes, we have more societal interventions, you know, do you pass as this gender, you know, are you comfortable the way that you look is your body, do you want something different? You know, we know that if people have access to chest binders or to shapewear, you know, that intervention can be enough for them to feel fulfilled in their life. And so oftentimes, you know, that gender reassignment piece starts with children, you know, exploring their own gender, you know, in the social realm, you know, in their kindergarten, first grade classes with their childhood friends, you know, and so we see young children change their dress or change their hair, you know, even into middle school and high school, you know, we're putting on all these hats saying which one feels the best, which one feels like me. No, I don't like that one. Let's try this one, you know, and so I think a large row of, you know, allowing children to transition as they wish is that we do not, you know, force children to live in this state of dysphoria until they're 18. You know, sometimes we have this ideal that our life starts when we are 18. You know, we've graduated high school and we get to pick our college and go off and do what we want, you know, but we're figuring out who we are in middle school and high school with those close friends and with our family members, you know, and so in that moment, you know, it's kind of allowing them, accepting them, if you will, to be who they want to be you know, and not feel like they have to pause their life or wait. You know, I think another pro regarding, you know, children, you know, following through with gender reassignment is that a lot of interventions that we have are totally reversible. So if somebody who is a young person decides they want to take hormone suppressors, and then they turn 20 or 21 and decide that doesn't match their life journey, they can stop you know, with the help of a medical professional, and there are not, you know, detrimental long-term effects. You know, now this is with the supervision, you know, and consultation of medical professionals, but we know that certain things do not cause long-term damage. You know, in fact, it's quite the opposite that many of these medications must be used long-term. You know, hormone replacement therapy is somebody is a choice someone makes for the rest of their life, you know, and so these are, these are not easy choices. 
a lot of times we think these are, you know, yes or no, you either are or you aren't choices where I'm sure people wish it was like that. But oftentimes a transition, you know, is constantly kind of working towards what you want. You know, it's constantly having the, you know, treatment that you need, the intervention that you want, the medical professional that you feel like supports and accepts you. You know, I think that when we think of con, you know, I think a con of the uh, allowing children to transition is that currently where we are, there's not much support outwardly for our trans kids, even for our trans adults, right? You know, and so when I think of allowing children to transition at a young age, you know, my thoughts are, you know, what community supports are there for these young people? What ways can we support the family members of these trans kids? Because in some larger suburbs, you know, in larger metropolitan areas, there might be community support, you know, but trans people don't just exist in those large metropolitan areas. They're everywhere. We are all everywhere. And so just thinking, you know, how can we best support our family members, you know, our children, you know, the communities of those children? Because again, this does affect everybody. You know, if somebody transitioned at a young age, they might be the first person that some of their community members know as a trans person. And what an awesome badge to carry every day but what a heavy burden to carry every day. Right. You know, and and how we can, how can we support that person? How can we support that kid? How we can, how can we support those other people that feel uncomfortable and not supported through this? You know, so a con to me, TJ is not so much in the intervention itself, um, because I trust our medical professionals. And I feel like when children are involved, most of the time, our medical professionals know um, you know, what is acceptable and what is not. But more a con is a societal con. Oftentimes, the transitioning can leave people feeling isolated and kind of alienated. Well, you've taught me something else because I, I actually made the assumption, and I'm going to admit my assumption, that a person who is transgender would be in process of full medical transition. But what you're saying is that a transgendered person does not have to, you know, only seek that, um, you know, surgical intervention, just the fact that, you know, they're taking the uh, hormone treatment and uh, maybe change their name legally, you know, that is a transition. Therefore, he or she is a transgender person, right? Yes. Yes. And, you know, I think an easy way I have to kind of think about this is when we think of somebody who is trans, there are kind of two concepts. One is, am, do I like how I am perceived? Do people perceive me the way that I want to be perceived? Is that piece? And the second one, do I perceive myself the way I want to be perceived, right? And so, you know, some people who are trans, you know, have the ability to front or present enough that medical intervention is not needed. So in those moments, they perceive themselves as a man and the world perceives them as a man, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I think sometimes in our cisgenderedness, we think they're either, you are either cis or trans, which is true, but you're either cis, that's small, or you're trans and that's large. Right. Okay, somebody can be, you know, born as a male and then present as a female, okay, and be a woman, but not have any medical intervention and feel completely fulfilled in their life. Just as fulfilled as somebody who was born a man and went through complete reconstructive gender affirming surgery. So when we think of this, we have to really catch ourselves that there aren't just two categories of cis and trans, and you change your entire existence in your entire body. You know, it is your cis and the way you perceive yourself and the way you are perceived matches, or you are trans and that perception piece is different. And so that is when you transition to get to that perception of I see myself the way I am and others see me the way I am. We have so many people who um, do not agree 
with um, trans identity or with gender reassignment or with any of the, um, the medicinal therapies that go along with helping someone to realize um, and you know, physically or outwardly portray who they feel that they are inside. If a person doesn't agree or has strong opinions about these communities, whether it you know, be anyone on the LGBTQ spectrum, what are ways that they can assert their opinions without emotionally or physically or psychologically harming a person who is within that community? Yeah, so I think this question is so needed, you know, especially right now when a lot of minority communities, you know, are coming out and saying this is not okay, you know, the norm cannot continue, this has never been okay, you know, and so especially, you know, TJ, when we're grappling with the internet's cancel culture, you know, how do I share my opinion if it's not, you know, if I feel like it's not the most affirming or the not the most open, you know, whatever it may be, you know, and so in that moment, when you're thinking of, you know, this is my opinion, this is how I feel, you know, to me, it comes back to intent. I would love if everybody in the world all had the same ideas, you know, that'd be kind of a boring place, but it would be an easy and a nice place because we would all agree. You know, so first we have to recognize that not everybody is always going to agree. And we can accept that. Doesn't mean that we like it. Doesn't mean that we want it to repeat. But it does mean that we accept it and that we stop fighting against it. You know, we say there is this thing. Maybe I don't agree with that, but that's okay. Because it's not my life. You know, so if it is your opinion on people that have no effect on you, you know, really identify how much energy you're expending on those opinions and sharing them. Now, that's different if it is a close friend or a family member, you know, in that moment, you know, sometimes we assume that therapy is only for people with really serious mental health conditions, but you and a friend can go to therapy, you know, and I know that, of course, I'm a therapist, so of course, I'm shipping therapy, but you and your friend can enter into that space and say, this is how I'm feeling, and it's concerning because I don't want to lose you as a friend. You know, and so I think, again, it goes back to that, you know, humanness moment, that moment of empathy, you know, accepting that I am human, I've been taught things in my life, and I understand things in my life differently than you. Maybe we can come to a mutual place of understanding, you know, maybe I can share my concerns with you. Sometimes when people have, you know, strong opinions that don't match you know, other people's strong opinions, it's really easy to assume that there is a right and a wrong. But I don't really like those classifiers because then we get into, you know, if that's right, then I must be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you know, then I might feel shame, I might feel guilty. So instead, you know, it is what it is. You know, I have this opinion that maybe I don't agree with this, you know, whatever this is. That's okay. If I have a close friend, I can talk with them and I can meet with them. Oftentimes when we feel concern or when we feel fear, that can come from a place of not understanding or not having the right answers. So sometimes, you know, I'll give you kind of a real world um, experience thing that comes up for me in my practice um, is that a lot of times family members will say they are worried about um, the impact that medicinal interventions will have on their child growing up. Okay, and so I see, you know, and I'm gonna act like a mother caring for child, you know, you're ruining your life. You don't know what you're doing. You're so young. I have all these hopes for you and you're just walking down this path that is not right for you. And in that moment, child is gonna hear mom being, you know, domineering and trying to control me. But me as an outsider, I just hear mother's love and mother's care, and mother not understanding or maybe not feeling comfortable. And we all have moments in our life, TJ, where we don't understand or where we're not comfortable. Definitely. You know, and those are not great moments, but through those moments is how we grow and how we progress and how we become more of who we are. You know, and so if you have those opinions that maybe someone has told you that's not okay, you can't think like that, 
Or, you know, if you're thinking, you know, I'm going to be canceled if I say that on the internet, you know, yes. find, find somebody that you have a relationship with that you feel like you could enter a space and talk to. Because while cancel culture is also on the internet, TJ, I'm so glad that you reached out because, you know, there is an education piece coming on. You know, there are so many things that we just don't know about the other experiences of other groups of people. You know, and it is okay to be ignorant. We are all born ignorant, right. but it is not okay to stay ignorant. You know, and so sometimes in that moment of saying, I have no idea what I just said, and I don't mean that, you know, that's when the magic happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when we learn, you know, of our implicit biases of stereotypes that we hold. That's when we learn, oh, maybe I have a little bit extra sprinkling of prejudice on that. You know, that's when we really start to break down those walls in ourselves and understand, is this fear? Is this my true opinion? Do I not feel comfortable? Is this coming out of love or is this coming out of, I want to hurt you? Right. You know? Yes. And so entering those spaces when you don't want to enter those spaces, you know, that uncomfort can make us close ourselves in and box ourselves off or that uncomfort can be a door to a new understanding or to a different type of relationship. And I love that you said, um, I guess I love a lot of things that you say. I've said that a lot, but you said, um, you know, you as friends or even as family members, you can go into a counseling space and have a, a mediator, you know, have that professional there to help uh, interpret, you know, uh, what each person is saying so yeah. that there is an understanding there. I think that that is something that uh, we probably need more of because uh, yeah. I believe in therapy. I think everybody, mm-hmm. every person, I already know my kids will be in therapy at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I think sometimes TJ, when we think of, you know, entering that space with a friend, we're really quick to assume that it does need to be with a therapist or with a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do think you need to have somebody there that you both feel comfortable with, but that might be, you know, if you're both a member of a religious community, that might mm-hmm. be somebody that you both look up to. If that is somebody, you know, in your family and you have someone else in your family that has gone through something similar or knows, you know, maybe having that person, you know, I know therapy is not always accessible, you know, for minority groups or for certain people in the world, but sometimes, you know, finding ways to have those conversations, you know, in a way that both people feel comfortable and both people feel invited can be really powerful. For sure. I'm going to circle back because I, I want to connect um, this conversation about being able to peacefully disagree and have conversations about um, these differences with understanding the impact of negatively having those opinions. This would be bullying or lawmakers making making laws or, or passing bills that will adversely affect these populations. What are some statistics surrounding trans youth, uh, specifically those who have um, transitioned and have supportive families versus and communities uh, versus those who have not and do not have supportive families or communities? Yeah, so um, for these statistics, I went to um, the uh, second annual national survey on LGBTQ youth mental health. This was done through the Trevor Project, and this is 2020's data. So this is kind of fresh off the press in terms of statistics data, if you will. Um, and so this study was huge, TJ. This is the biggest one ever done on our LGBTQ youth. Um, there are 40,000 applicants ages 13 through 24. All right. So this is, this is the largest one ever, a lot of responses, and I think we learned wow. a lot. Um, so I'm about to say a lot of numbers, um, but I will kind of classify the numbers and kind of quantify them. And we'll um, put this in the show notes so that you will be able to yourself, listener, uh, go back and review this information for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
First, one of one in three LGBTQ youth report that they are physically threatened or harmed in their lifetime due to sexual orientation or gender identity. Okay, and so that's kind of without taking family support into play, that's kind of one of three. That's like 30% of our LGBTQ youth. Okay, so out of that one of three, 40% of transgender or non-binary youth reported being physically threatened or harmed in their lifetime due to their gender identity. So while it's about 30% for LGBTQ, for transgender and non-binary, that goes up to about 40%, right? So people who identified as lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or gender non-conforming, that'd be gender non-binary, uh, 48% of the group said that in the last 12 months, they had engaged in self-harm. So that's almost 50% through kind of end of 2019 and into 2020. Wow. All right. For our trans and non-binary children alone, TJ, that number is 60% have self-harmed in the last 12 months. All right, and so this, these next statistics are kind of all about our transgender youth population, and so not so much just LGBTQ, um, but they have said that out of the 60% that had self-harm, more than half of them said they are strongly considering ending their lives. So not only is that there's the self-harm piece but there's also that suicidal thought and suicidal desire piece. Right. And that's evidence of not having the support that they need in order to um, just feel like a person, to feel like they have value. That's, wow. And and so some more numbers that I have, um, three in four transgender and non-binary youth experience symptoms of anxiety. And so this is all self-report. And so this isn't relying on doctors to agree or mental health professionals to agree, which is good news for us, TJ, because there's no gatekeepers, you know, judging how these people are responding. These people are saying, yes, I feel anxious based on this. Um, 61% of transgender and non-binary youth report being discouraged or prevented from using the bathroom that matches their gender identity. Right. And so this next piece is about support at home versus non-support at home, TJ. All right. And so transgender and non-binary youth who reported having their pronouns respected by all or most of the people in their lives attempted suicide at half of the rate of those who had none of their pronouns respected. So 12% of transgender and non-binary youth who had support from all or most of their family attempted suicide, and 28% of transgender and non-binary youth who had no support with their pronouns attempted suicide. Wow. So even with family support and community support with pronouns and name changes, 12% of our transgender youth still experience the desire to attempt suicide. Oh, wow. And without that support, that number does go up to 28%, right? So only one in five transgender and non-binary youth report having their pronouns respected by all or most people in their life, right? So that means that four in five have not that many people that support their pronouns. Youth who attempted suicide, who had access to binders, to shapewear, and to gender-affirming clothing is 14%. And without access to those binders, those shapewear, that gender affirming clothing, that number goes up to 26%. So very similar to parents supporting pronoun use and name change use with clothing, right? And so one thing that the Trevor Project kind of came out is this Mm -hmm. affirming gender identity among transgender and non-binary youth is consistently associated with lower rates of suicide attempts. You know, and so just those support pieces, TJ, really kind of highlight how much our transgender and non-binary youth are struggling or just how important that support is for them against, you know, the negative effects of depression and anxiety and feeling like you're invisible or not accepted. I will, yeah, I will say, TJ, one thing about this research is it was difficult. Um, They did not break it down. you know, by ethnic or minority group, you know, and so one thing that we know that, you know, is not surprising for people now is that 
you know, not all groups have the same relationship with our healthcare providers or with, you know, our, um, you know, even scientific methods. You know, in the past, we know that scientists have abused people of color and have neglected, mm-hmm. you know, their rights and have mistreated them so terribly, you know, and so it's difficult to say, you know, if this data is from certain demographics of people or they didn't break it down like that. But I know that our, you know, black and our Latinx trans youth and non-binary youth, you know, they exist with, you know, different community struggles, you know, and that's not so much against the community, rather that's against our society and, you know, societal things that have been put in place. You know, so a lot of times these, you know, trans affirming doctors exist in places that are trans affirming. And so what does that mean for places that are not trans affirming that have a trans community? Right. That means there's more red tape. That means that maybe the doctors in that area are not as affirming. That means maybe their support systems are somewhere else. Okay. And then that brings up other questions of, well, you can just travel to them which you and I know that travel is not accessible to everyone. And so while these numbers sound, you know, maybe 12% is low, maybe 28% is low. I personally would be really interested to see differences between, you know, white, black, Latinx, whoever it may be. Um, Because we know from what we know from medical communities, you know, there are certain people that suffer more, you know, from how, because of how, things have been in our history or the prejudices and, you know, oppression that is still alive in our society today. Definitely, definitely, because access is, you know, something that we all are not blessed to have. Mm -hmm. So um, I would love to see that data as well. I wonder, the data that you were quoting from, did it break it down by socioeconomics at all? I am not exactly sure. Um, It is a pretty cool little thing um, whenever your listeners check it out. Um, It is much more, um, they were much more focused on um, kind of the gender identity and the sexual identity and sexual orientation piece. Um, I'm looking through it right now to see. They did measure um, both cis and transgender um so there's even information on our cisgendered people um i didn't see too much on their socioeconomic status differences Mm -hmm. um so but this was only the second this is only the second annual time for them to do that for this survey to happen tj so we are very much like in the wild west like the forefront of understanding our trans and non-binary youth in terms of statistics and in terms of access levels. Right. I would love to see that data in five years and see where that's gone Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, I I want to end with this question about people who are like myself, who are um, allies or people who want to support as an educator, you know, all of them are my babies. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all my children and um, several of the students that I taught early in my career, I'm still in contact with them. And I still care about them as much today as I did when they were adolescents. Um, so what, what can we do if we want to be supportive of uh, the LGBT community? Um, like what are you uh, mentioned the Trevor Project, which I'm familiar mm-hmm. with, but what are some other organizations that we could familiarize ourselves with and how do we show our support? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one, TJ, this goes back to, you know, being aware of how human we are. So to be an ally takes to really break down the way you view the world and really identify, you know, do I live in the way of an ally okay because so many of us that are cisgendered or that are white like myself we just carry so much power and privilege you know that until we take a hard look in the mirror and say oh geez okay this has been 
a situation for a bit and start to unwork that, can we really claim to be allies? You know, can we really, until we understand our effect on these systems of oppression and these systems of discrimination, can we work to dismantle that? Or can we work to say, I'm going to step away from this because it doesn't serve everybody. So a part of that is really doing some self-searching, understanding your implicit biases, understanding your prejudicial thoughts, understanding, you know, stereotype thoughts that you have, you know, which we all have those. Okay, our brain kind of works in a way to create those easily for us to don't feel ashamed or guilty when those come up. You know, it's about working through those and unlearning. Um, and so when we're thinking of, you know, places to um, support, I have a list here that I was going to bring up. Here in Arkansas, we have um, an interest-sensitive group. They have been very active against legislation and keeping kind of grassroots people informed on how to protest, who to call, where to call. They've kept people updated kind of on um, the bill processes. Um, and so interest-sensitive is one here in Arkansas. Um, you know, of course, there is the... Um, this up right now. I'm trying to get the name right. Um, so I think the best kind of overall for adults and for young people maybe would be Trans Lifeline, you know, and then for young people in crisis, of course, is the Trevor Project. You know, there's also um, the gender spectrum is one that is more for teens, um, you know, older children and their parents. Um, there's um, an organization called Trans Bucket, and that is support around surgical transition. No, and then there's um, also, I think it's called the Tribe, LGBTQ plus support. Um, and so that is for more mental health care. You know, and so when we're thinking of being allies, you know, that goes back to your acceptance piece that we've kind of been dancing around, TJ. You know, to be an ally, we really have to accept where we are mm -hmm. and accept the work that we have to do and kind of dive in head first. Definitely. You know, and so just as difficult as it is, you know, to sit with someone and say, I don't understand why you would want to live your life this way. We have to look at ourselves and say, I don't understand why I put so much weight on someone else's decision in their life. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, and yes. so being an ally is really about what control do I have over mm -hmm. myself and where does my control end? Because a lot of times if we just focus on the control that we have on ourselves, things become easier, things become more clear. And we can let go of all of those things that drain our energy that we don't have to give energy to. Right. Yes, we do not have to give energy to all of that. Well, I'll have links to all of these um, agencies and projects in the show notes. And um, you, uh, listener, you can go to the show notes and look up this information for yourselves. and. I don't know if you are ready to be a person who is affirming and acceptive um, or accepting of the LGBT community, but I hope that you are at least open to learning more about these communities and uh, taking a step back. And, you know, as Susan said, you know, what can you control and how much do you want to or do you need to control? Uh, the actions or the habits or the abilities of others. You know, that's not necessarily something that um, we have to do. Um, you know, and, and TJ, I think it is a very good time for me to mention this now, um, that therapy is a beautiful place for all people to share thoughts that they have that they feel will not be accepted by other people. So if any of your listeners are feeling like, you know, maybe there is something in me that I could change, or I know I have these thoughts and I don't want to, or I don't even know how to get to another place, 
you know, the therapy space is not just for people who have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety or experience gender dysphoria or what have you. You know, it is for people who need help navigating themselves. You know, and so if you feel like this could be beneficial, you know, then reach out to somebody. You know, you don't owe them more than, you know, what you agree to. So if that's one meeting, if that's two meetings, whatever that might be, you know, there is support out there for everybody. And we all need support through our life. When I was a practicing teacher, I did my very best to treat every student like they were a whole person, no matter what differences they may have had from me or from their peers. I had LGBTQ students and I loved them. I loved them for their creativity. I loved them for their imagination. I loved them for their drive, for their dedication to trying to succeed and succeeding in that process. I didn't look at those children as being other and even counsel them when their own families could not understand and would not accept who they were. And all the time that I've taught, I've only ever had one transgendered student. And with her, I didn't say, hey, what is wrong with you? Or why are you this way? Or any of that. The first conversation that I had with her one-on-one, because at the time she was transitioning, were what are your pronouns? And what is your name? That's it, nothing else. And I, I tried to give her as much support as possible. She encountered so much adversity that she didn't make it the entire semester. This was her freshman year of college. She did not make it through the entire semester. And I was so heartbroken for her because here we are on a campus full of adults and she still could not find a place home, but we were in the South. And that was only part of the problem. And I know there is someone out there who knows me who might say, but TJ, you're a Christian. How can you be saying these things? I am saying these things because I am a Christ follower. And as a teacher, I live by Mark 12, verses 28 through 31. That's it. And if you're a Christian, you know what that means. The greatest commandments are to love the Lord and to love your neighbor. That's it. I say that I live this way as a teacher, but in actuality, I live this way as a person. So this is how I show my acceptance of people who are different from myself. And I implore you to please do the same. All right, so we are down to my favorite part of the show. And even though this show is um, more of a serious nature than most of the other shows, um, we still like to have a lot of fun here at This Year I Turn 40. And um, we're going to wrap up with a game. So if you've listened to the show, you know that the game is called Drink With, Live With, and Travel With. And um, the way the game is played is my guest and I will both name a person for each of these things that we would um, what, that we would do these things with. And um, this time the category will be transgendered women or men. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let uh, my guest, Susan, go first. Yes. Yeah, so um, I did choose two people that I could drink with because one of them is sadly no longer with us. Um, but I decided that maybe I could have a magic wand and just make things the impossible possible for a moment. Um, so I did choose Sylvia Riviera, um, which, um, you know, at Stonewall riots, you know, kind of always excluded from LGBTQ, you know, scene, but still rallied and still said, no, this is my community. Um, but a person that is still living with us, I chose Rafi Friedman Guzman, um, which is a transgender um, Latinx and indigenous 
person um, who works at our U.S. Capitol, uh, you know, reforming laws and working um, at the head of committees, um, you know, and as a young person, you know, under the age of 30, you know, and so a beautiful right. representation for our Indigenous and Latinx community members. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I chose to live with uh, Lana Wachowski, um, which, you know, movies that they have directed such as uh, The Matrix or Cloud Atlas or V for Vendetta. And I feel like she would just be so much fun to live with because I imagine she just has such a vision for things. I mean, The Matrix and V for Vendetta and Cloud Atlas are all like on my top movies yes. list and so experiential that I would just love to exist in the same place as her brain. You know, I feel like maybe her creativity could drip off on me somehow or inspire me in some way. Uh, And the person I chose to travel with was Laverne Cox. Um, And that is because she is beautiful. Every time I see her, I love her fashion. I love her clothing. I love watching her in her acting projects. Um, And so I think she would just be a blast to travel with. Oh, yeah. Oh, those are so good. (laughs) Definitely. Well, we have one in common, so I'll start with that one. So I said I would live with Laverne Cox Mm, because she, you know, is so beautiful and high fashion. And I just figured she probably has a very nice home. Yes, yes. (laughs) It's probably probably, like very comfortable and very stylish. And I can just see her having like these little pods and nooks for, you know, being able to have like creative thinking time or just like relaxation or whatever. She just seems like a very like comfortable person. Yes. Yes. Um, For my drink with, I actually chose Sandra Caldwell and I chose her because she was a closeted trans woman for a very long time. And when I saw the um, documentary, um, disclosure, Mm -hmm. when I saw that documentary and, you know, she um, was interviewed there, I just wondered, wow, you know, what was that like, you know, being an actress, you know, in Black Hollywood and having a career and knowing that, you know, this is who I am and nobody knows, you know, maybe her inner circle, but I would love to have a drink with her just to talk about that. And then my travel with, I said, um, MJ Rodriguez from Pose. I love Pose. It's one of my favorite shows. And I love her character on that show. And she just seems like a very, um, she seems like a, the type of person that you could travel with. This is going to sound funny, but be safe <laughs> because I just feel like she would talk up and talk down any person who would come incorrectly. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I feel like very confident and comfortable with traveling with her. Plus, I think that we would have a good time. She seems like a very like down to earth, you know, not dramatic type person. And yes. so, and those are the type of people I like to travel with. Yes. <laughs> yes. Makes it much easier. <laughs> it does. I don't want to take care of anybody when I travel. I just want, let's, you know, kick it. And <laughs> yeah, taking care of myself is enough. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, I appreciate you so much, uh, especially for like coming on at the last minute and, um, and giving me a little bit of your time today. I really appreciate it. And um, shout out to Rachel Pinto for like putting us together. I appreciate her uh, for, you know, just being able to allow me to continue to have access to her. And she is such a great person. So um, thank you to both of you and Cardinal Counseling for being part of our episode today. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. You know, I think uh, anytime we get to share what uh, we can about other groups or anytime we can offer education for people, you know, that's what we're all about, you know, because none of us know this stuff until we are told about it or until we enter that space mm-hmm. wanting to know, you know, which your listeners at this point have done both, you know, someone we've talked to them about it, but they've also entered this space wanting to know, you know, so I'm just as appreciative for this opportunity um, and thankful for you um, and Rachel as well because she's the one that (laughs) connected us so definitely and now that you have the information listener it's up to you what you do with it and um, I hope that this is something that um, 
wasn't triggering. You know, I, I promised you I wasn't going to rant. I didn't rant. I just want you to be able to have this information so that you can be more informed and go out and be an advocate for people, you know, love others, love each other. And that's it because I'm not going to rant. That's the episode. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me, TJ.